have to announce one other thing. Time change is not next week. It's the week after. How many guys are glad now? It comes as good news. We, we, we fall back. Yeah, so other than that, most of the information was right. Yeah, they played next week's video. Anyway, it was a great, I mean, she's cute. It's worth looking at to me. I, I like the whole part thing, yeah. Anyway, uh, boy. So they did catch-up points. Like your team's behind, you can catch up and get extra points. Uh, instead of like inviting friends or winning games, they had spicy stuff. Like they were eating this like really, really, it was like uh, the second hottest Buffalo Wild Wing sauce, which is called like, like uh, fell off the cliff or punch in the face or whatever it is. It's like, it's like terrible. And then they had one that was even 100 times hotter than that. That's like the hottest hot sauce. And the kids just ate it. And they, they got so excited. And revival broke out. It was wonderful. And they ran around to the bathrooms and choked. And so um, I'm glad you guys are here because we have a lot to repent for. And uh, no, it's, it's been awesome. Open your Bibles this morning, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. So we're going to start today. And as you're opening to Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 8, let me just give you some really good news. I just, I just have some really good news. Um, God is giving us a wave. And, and if you know anything about waves, anything about surfing, you know that if you get on the wave at the right time and the right way, you, you get to move in such a way that it takes very little effort to accomplish a lot. And we are enjoying a wave of his mercy right now. Since the beginning of October till now, um, being conservative in how we count and where we count and making sure that we understand and making sure people understand. We've seen somewhere around 70 people make a public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them being junior high schoolers. Some of them being people in their 50s and 60s. Um, as I stood up here and just talked about the gospel and who'd like to get their life to Jesus, to watch an entire family raise their hand together at the same time. It is, it's an amazing thing. And can I tell you this? Not like, I don't want to take this for granted. Like, yeah, we did outreach and it happened. How many of us know we don't, we don't save people? What we hope to do is paddle, you know, wait for a wave, paddle really hard, jump up on top of the board and let the wave do the work. And so for the last, the last three weeks, that's, that's like in three weeks, we're seeing this many people come to Jesus. And so today we're going to have a conversation that is not just for the 70 people that, that need to have it now, but for the rest of our church. Because I think a lot of times, if you're not careful, you, you'll think that I raised my hand. I gave my life to Jesus, I gave my sins to Jesus, and now I've, I've kind of completed something. When, when that is not the finishing line, that's actually the starting gate. That's for so many, like, relate, like your wedding day is not the end of your marriage. I mean, for some. But it's not supposed to be the end of your marriage. It's not supposed to be the end of your marriage. It's supposed to be the beginning of your marriage is that covenant, that agreement, that I will, that I do, right? So um, this, we've actually had people, I haven't had this in a long time, but people are starting to come to church for the expressed reason of I'm here to get right with God. Why are you here? I don't know. Uh, why did you choose this church? Well, it used to be like Assemblies of God, like we we're part of a fellowship called the Assemblies of God. We were A in the phone book. So people just kind of went A and, you know, and they were here at the Apostolics. Like those are the two, those are the two places that start with A. Or they just went to AA or they got their tire changed by AAA. But they, they got to that place. They looked in the phone book, hey, I have a good need, I got a whatever. But this is, this is what I'm realizing is that it isn't because we're A in the phone book. It's not because we're in the Tri-County Times. It's not because we have a great web presence. It's God is sending people for the express purpose of getting right with him. I had a couple uh, a few weeks ago walked up to my, my son and I and just said, we, uh, we'd like to be born again again. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I understand the theology of that, but I understand exactly what you just said. They, they said, is there like a class where you can get right with God? I said, yep, it's right here, right now. So we talked about the prodigal son. And Josh went and grabbed him some Bibles, and we prayed with them and just beautifully came back to Jesus after service because they came to church to get right with God. How many of you guys know that wasn't in our packet? 
That's not in our website. I, at, at my father's funeral this last week, my, my dad passed away nine months ago. We had his burial on Friday. And my cousins are walking me saying, man, we go to church every Sunday at Freedom Center. Like, you live in New York. You live in Florida. They're like, yeah, but this is our church. Like, we, we've gotten right with God. Our families watch together. Just this morning, a friend of mine, I, literally since my kids were in kindergarten, I've known this family. She goes, yeah, we watch every Sunday. Like, during worship, we might fold laundry, but when you talk, we listen. I thought, oh, I love that. Because some people say, we listen to worship, then we fold laundry when you talk. So I, finally, <laughs> finally, somebody, you laughed awfully hard at that, brother. I'm just saying, you, you have a firsthand experience with that. That's your revelation. So, so there's going to be a couple questions we need to ask ourselves today, all of us, whether you've been saved for 50 years or 15 minutes, or you came today, like many have, just to get right with God. Today is a good day. Ephesians chapter 8, or chapter, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, for it's by grace, by this gift, by the charisma, we got our word charisma, the gift, by this gift of God, you have been saved. You've been set right with the Lord. Your sins are forgiven. You're in right standing with God. It's this gift that God gave you that made you right with him through faith. You trusted him and what he's done for you. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to ask you a couple questions today. Number one is this. No matter, again, 50 years or 15 minutes. Here it is. You ready? What did God save you from? I love that question. It, it, the answer to that question, I guess we would classically call a testimony. Like, tell me a testimony of what God's done for you. But I love this. This, this thought of what God has done for you. What, what did Jesus forgive you from? And that, that thought of what Jesus forgave me from, how you guys know that it's hard to look at that, look at mercy, and not be grateful? Like, if I could adjust my attitude in traffic, how many of you guys know that Fenton has turned into the orange barrel capital of Genestee, Livingston County? Like, where do this, all these things go? It's like, well, every fall they come to Fenton. And 17 lanes goes down to one, and everybody tries really hard not to, you know, speak in the tongue of French. It's a very Pentecostal community that way, you know? And, and literally, it's just like, man, I, so what, what is it that Jesus saved you from? And people start talking about, I was this, and I did that. You, you ever met somebody, and they tell you what Jesus forgave them of? And, and they just have such gratitude that you're sucked into it. Like, like, you ever met anybody, like, their testimony is so other than what you know them to be, that the only explanation of telling me that life is that that life no longer lives, but Christ now lives in that life. You ever hear somebody say, yeah, well, you know, when I was a chainsaw massacring, you know, Ohio State fan, I really, uh, and you go, really? I just, I didn't, I didn't see that in you. I, I, I didn't know. I, I would have never known that was your past because that's how thoroughly the blood of Jesus cleanses the soul of mankind. What did God save you from? Uh, I love hearing that. The second question, though, comes out of verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, his poema his um, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Second question is this, not just what did God save you from, but what do you think God saved you for? We, we have to be very careful. I want everybody to listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say, you've got to hear this. Any form of Christianity that stops with morality will eventually be unsatisfying because you were created to do more than behave yourself. You're created to be a transformational force in a dark world as light. You were created to be a, a, a source of tremendous kingdom influence as salt would be in, in, in flavoring something. A little bit of this becomes a lot of that. You, your life, like I don't smoke anymore. I don't chew anymore. I don't run with girls that do anymore. But there's something inside of me that still feels unsatisfied. And so a lot of people have kind of mistakenly, I think anyway, kind of let, let me just deconstruct my faith. It, it, let, let me do this. Don't deconstruct your faith. Construct a biblical faith. 
a biblical faith follows Jesus into unknown things, into adventures, into self-analysis, into communion, into community, into iron sharpening iron. If you go to church and you sit in the same chair every week and you hear basically the same sermon every week, sing basically the same songs every week and walk out and go, there must be something more, you are absolutely right. There's obedience. There's crucifixion. There's, there's risk. There's faith. There's sacrifice. There's fasting. There's prayer. There's casting out demons. There's healing the sick. There's, there's mission and living life on mission. If you are dissatisfied with your Christianity, can I help you by just simply saying this? Maybe you haven't experienced all that Christ has for you yet. And one of the things I know for sure about every person in this room, you have not experienced all of God yet because he's infinite and you're finite. If you had a million lifetimes, you would not experience all that there is to experience of God. There's going to be a growing dissatisfaction in your life if, if this is what you're doing. If it's like, yes, my faith, and I said the spell, and I'm fleeing from hell, and I raised my hand, and I did my thing, and I, wonderful. It's a great first step. But any, any sense of, um, there's going to be a growing dissatisfaction with a Christianity that tells you what to do, what not to do, but never tells you who you are, and then releases you to be that. This morning, this isn't in my notes, but I got a note from my wife to the whole staff saying, hey, there's a lot of people that are kind of out today, and we need some people to work with three, four, and five-year-olds. need some people to work with the first through fifth graders. So I walk around the four-way, and I, I get, hey, you guys ever had a heart to work with kids? I, if, it's, if I walk up and I go, hey, I, I need someone, anybody, doesn't matter who it is, but just someone, someone who laughs at inappropriate times, just someone, doesn't matter who it is. Man, would you do me a favor? We got like kids, like they're climbing the walls. We got one worker back there, and she's like wrapping kids in Velcro and sticking them on the ceiling fan just to, you know, loosen them up a little bit. Like, could you just help me? Well, if he does that when it's not his calling, it's not his gift, it's not his grace, I owe him a favor. But if I look around the four-way and I find that one person that's just waiting to be asked because they love kids, they were created to work with kids. They're gifted with kids. They, the kids love them. I walk in the room, they go, who's the old guy? But you walk in the room, it's like jungle gym is home. You're their favorite playground implement. I say, hey, we need some people to work with the kids this morning. Are you a member? Have you been background checked? Are you, you know, do you, do you have any last wishes? You, we, need, we need children's workers this morning. And you go, yeah, I would love to. Like, how many guys know that that guy, when that guy, that lady goes back and works with children's ministry, they have a different satisfaction because they were born to do it. They were created for it. I go back there, and they know right away I'm not. And the only thing I know about children's ministry, guys, is if you don't have a wonderful program prepared for them, they have a wonderful program prepared for you. <laughs> and I, I do not have one. So, and I want you to hear the words. Ephesians 2.10 talks about God created these good works that you're, you're created for in advance of your creation. And this, this means so much to me. It isn't like, Kelly, can I use you as an example this morning? So it isn't like, it isn't like uh, God creates Kelly and goes, oh, that's Pastor Jason's daughter. I better find something significant for her to do. Because if she has the energy of, of, of Jason and the free spirit of her mother, she could do a lot of damage in this world because she'll really be free, disciplined freely out there doing this thing. And so I, I better create uh, Austin because Austin needs someone to keep him out of trouble. You know what I mean? And, and so it isn't like God creates people and then finds something for them to do. Hear me, everyone. There was something that needed to be done in this generation. And God's solution to that problem, God's answer to that question, God's fulfillment of that promise is you. It's you. And, and understanding that in our hearts, that I have a purpose. I'm not one of billions. I'm one of one. I, I am as unique. I am as gifted. 
I am as strong, I am as weak in all the right places as I need to be to be exactly what God created me to do. He prepared something in advance, and then he prepared me to be that something that meets that need. Does that make sense? So I don't look at what's in my pockets as it's just what's in my pockets. I don't like what's in my head or in my testimony or in my experience. It's just one thing. I remember thinking I shouldn't tell you guys where I've really been and what I've really done before I met Jesus because it would disqualify me for being your pastor. And then as you start being honest about your testimony, people come out of the woodwork saying, I used to have addiction issues as well. I used to struggle with this. My wife and I have gotten into arguments too. Hey, I'm a mammal just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. And all of a sudden, that which should have disqualified me now qualifies me greater because I know the way out of what people are stuck in. And I'm still stuck in some stuff, by the way. I'm not saying that I'm all there, because if I would, then I'd say I have one problem left. It's that prideful, you know, misunderstanding of my own soul. So let me give you five statements, and I want you to consider these things. And, and, I, and as we go through them, I want you to kind of to, I'm going to have three more questions at the end of this, but I want to make five statements. This is the collection of about 30 years of thinking about one thing for a long time. Number one is this. Five statements considered. Number one is this. Everyone has a why. Would you say it with me? Everyone has a... Okay, and what's, what's a why? That's terrible English, but you understand what I'm saying. It goes back to that, that Ephesians 2.10. You were created for something. There's a why. Why God made you is because. You have a why. There's certain parts of you that make perfect sense. There's certain parts of you that are vital. There's certain moments in your life where if you weren't there, it wouldn't happen. Where if you were there, it wouldn't happen. You, you are a, an instrument of divine beauty. That We are God's workmanship. That's the word poema. We get our modern word poem from it. And, and that basically means you are the rhythmic, synchronized, perfect expression of God in the moment that he speaks you. You're his poem. I've heard some people translate it, you're the masterpiece of God. And I, I certainly believe that mankind is. We are the masterpiece of God. Everyone has a why. Number two, those who haven't found their why haven't found their way. It doesn't make them bad people, by the way. I didn't know my way till I was 29 years old. My wife used to say, so what are you going to do in life, Jim? I mean, you're kind of a husband. I've got a security gland. It's pretty tense right now. You know, we're youth pastors. Are we going to, are we going to be senior pastors? Are we going to be missionaries? Are you going to go into business? Are you going to go back to school? And I go, I don't know. How many know that young husbands hear me? The last thing a young wife wants to hear from her husband, he goes, eh, eh. It's, it's injecting poison into, into the soul. It's not poison. It's injecting um, adrenaline. Into, they just kind of get, uh, what do you mean you don't know? I, I don't know. I might want to do this. I might want to do that. I'm, uh, I married a child, right? Then we come here at 29, and all of a sudden we're the middle of the demographic. We're the middle of the need. What everybody's going through, we've gone through, or are going through ourselves. And we find ourselves ideally suited. I mean, I, I still haven't gotten a, a Bible college education, and I, maybe one of these days I'll get around to being uh, smart. You know what I mean? People say, you're so real. It's like when you're not smart, all you have left is real, <laughs> you know. And by the way, me telling myself that I'm so real in public probably is like saying I'm humble too. So I don't know. That, that probably didn't work very well. But, but when you don't know what you're supposed to do, like, like I told you last week, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. But if you don't know who you are, those who haven't found their why haven't found their way yet. When you find your why, the way just appears. It's funny how, you, how it's always been there, but you've never seen it. Because it's, it's your way. And for some reason, you, you've had to kind of walk through the swamp of who you are and the swamp of the world and all the formations of the world's ideas and the white picket fence and the three-bedroom, two-path, two-car garage and a half-acre, some dog named Fluffy, some wife named Susie, some kid named Spot. That's the dog. Some, some kid named Billy, you know, and Susie Jr. And, and that, I, I got to have this or I'm not successful. But when Jesus gets a hold of you, I may understand, none of that matters. 
What matters is my way. I have found my why, and I've found my way. If you haven't found your way, let me just some symptoms, just quickly. And this is not to make fun of anybody. Just literally, just look at your own heart. This is an acid test for you, for nobody else. Don't even talk about it. But if you haven't found your, your why, and you haven't found your way, you'll find yourself easily distracted by everybody else's why and everybody else's way. When, when someone's recruiting for their why or their way, you're kind of like, oh, I might want to do that. And it's not, it's not that that's bad. I think we should join the promises of others. I think I, I, we have compassion our national kids that we support every month, and I've never met them, and, and it wasn't my dream to sponsor kids, but someone else had a dream, and I joined their dream because I, I'm dreaming their dream with them. That's a good thing, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't know what you're supposed to be, it, it's a sense of kind of like, I've got to find something more significant to be involved with. And then you get on social media. I got to be something more significant to be involved with. And then you start knocking on doors. I got to be something more. And by the way, social media is not bad, 8% of it. Um, knocking on doors isn't bad. You know what I mean? Probably 50% of it. So I'm not downing these things. But if you don't know who you are, you are desperately searching in some way to find out who you are. Or you've just flat given up and said you, you live. And whoever dies with the most toys win. Number three is this. God is hidden for you. For you, not from you. God is hidden for you. The clues of your why, and he put them in a place you'd always have with you. He gave them to you in you to be you. We'll get back to that in a minute. Number four, those who find their why and live from it, man, they get to live abundant lives, and those who don't, it's so sad, but they will literally waste the only life they'll ever be given. They take what God gave them, they bury it in the dirt, they kind of do their thing, and they miss that that sense of really knowing. But I don't know what hammers feel, but I bet you they like driving nails. Because they, they were created to do it. I don't know what screwdrivers feel, except probably they wish they were hammers. But when that screwdriver tightens that, uh, and the car works because of it, I imagine a screwdriver has great satisfaction. I don't know what someone working with three, four, and five-year-olds feels. <laughs> if I had to work with them, I'd have to have all my feelings surgically removed. Because I, 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 I am so lost with them, and they know it right away, and now no one's having fun. But my daughter-in-law goes back there, Miss Riss. And everybody's got these cute little speech, but Miss Riss, you know what I mean? And they're Miss Wiss. <laughs> and, and they mispronounce her name. They run and they hug her. And one kid last Sunday come walking in. He walks away from his mom and goes, give me a hug. And the kid just went like this. <laughs> and he walked right in and just followed Miss Riss around like a little puppy. Like, she knows who she is, right? She is living in abundance and being who she is. It doesn't matter. Listen. We all need to have a certain salary. We all need a certain paycheck. We all have to have a certain roof and a car and, and food. I, mean, I get that. But how many of you guys know it's better to be a little poor and a lot happy than a little wealthy and a lot miserable, right? And that's what this, those who find who they're supposed to be, they don't ask how much does it pay. They're just glad that the door opened up. Number five is this, right? One of the key roles of servant leaders in the body of Christ is to help you discover who God made you to be and then prepare you and then release you to fulfill God's purpose in your life. Like Ephesians 2.10, your God's workmanship. Ephesians 4.11, and God gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why? For the preparation of God's people to do what? Anybody know? Good works. So the good works in Ephesians 2.10 that Paul says, the ergos, the good works, that which you're created to do in 2.10 is what Ephesians 4.11 says, my job is to do. My job is to help you find your job. My life is rewarded when you find your life. My why is satisfied when you find your why. Does this make sense? Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5 says this, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. We're going to do that in just a moment. I feel like I've got 30 years of insight to help you draw out from your life a little bit more about who you are. Galatians 6.4 says to you in the message translation, 
I like what Peterson says here. He says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Isn't that beautiful? That God wants us to know who we are and do our creative best to be responsible to become who he made us to be. So here's the big question then. How do we know what God made us to do? How do we find our why? You guys doing all right? It's awfully quiet. This is good. I like this. At least 70 people a day will be like, I never heard that. And at least 700 will be like, oh, here he goes again. <laughs> I love this. This is my life. Hi, online. Get this. All right? Number one question is this. What is your, anybody know? Not, what's your why? But, but what, we're going to find it now by asking three questions. The first P is what? What is your, I love that you know that. Why? Because I want you to have these conversations with your friends, with your families. Listen, can I just say something real quick? If evangelism is simply, hey, you know, if you don't know my Jesus, you're going to hell. Let me just know, that's not a great way to start the conversation. But I have started countless conversations with strangers on airplanes who had four hours next to someone who can't shut up. And I say, so what do you do for a living? And they say, I'm a carpenter. I go, great, man, you know. My, uh, my older brother was a carpenter. It's Jesus, by the way. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know it yet. I make things. No kidding. My dad is a creator too. A content creator. Here's my content, you know. I says, let me ask you this. Are you, are you satisfied? I mean, I'm just curious. I run into so many people that don't, they do something, but it's kind of their living, but it's not their life. Is your living your life? And they go, 80% of the time they go, yeah, well, you know, I got to pay the bills. Got a bulldog. Got to pay the vet. Got to, you know, man, alimony's expensive. And I got to, you know, I just said, ah, you know, my life kind of sucks. And I go, terrific. I am so excited to be sitting next to you because you're honest and you're depressed. We're going to get somewhere. <laughs> if you could do anything, anything at all, all jobs paid the same, you couldn't fail, and you could start tomorrow morning, what would you get up to do? And they start to talk about their passion. What's your passion? What thrills you? And they say, you know, I think I just go fly fishing. Like as a career or as a hobby? Well, as a hobby, okay. So well, as a career, as a job, you're going to add to society. You're going to make the world better. You're going to use what God made you to be. You love this. What beauty would you create? What, what cause would you go after? What kid would you educate? What, what industry would you conquer? What, what is it? And, they, and I always know that everybody likes talking about themselves because it's the only thing they actually know. What's the history of French poetry from 1790 through the Napoleonic? Nobody cares. The guy who wrote the book doesn't care. But when you say, what did God make? And you'll say, made you, but I'll start throwing the word creator. I believe I was created to. What do you believe you were created for? And they'll start to talk. And so what are you passionate about? What is it that thrills you? When you're done, hear me, everybody here. We're not on the airplane. We're back in the room. When, when you are done doing what you have to do in life, name some things that just honestly that you like to do. When I'm done with laundry, like nobody says, you know, taking those clothes down to the river and beating them against a rock is the best part of my day. If somebody says that, it's because they have seven kids. And that's the only time they get alone. But the sound of running water isn't creating more laundry. I'm sorry, that was a bad thing to say, but you know what I mean? And they're, they're, it, like, what, what do you believe that you would love to do? If you could do it tomorrow, starting tomorrow. It's not the only question, by the way. It's an inferior question without a couple other ones we need to ask. But it is a valid one. This is a clue in my heart. One thing, like, people say, yeah, standing up in front of people talking, I would hate to do that. It terrifies me even to think about it. And I go, oh, man, I'm passionate about it. It kind of it gives me a, a clue, right, of what I'm created to do. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld pointed out that the number one fear of Americans in a poll that was taken is public speaking, greater even than death. 
People would rather be the subject of the funeral than the one speaking at the funeral. And I go, Psh, I, I'd make friends with that keyboard. I'd talk to it. I didn't have to talk back. I've been in the woods talking to squirrels while I'm deer hunting because I got lonely. Anybody else? Hey, Rocky, where's Bullwinkle? <laughs> you know? And we just, it's dumb, but it's, it's who I am. It's my passion, right? I was a security guard once, and for 12 hours a day, I had to be by myself six days a week. How many of you guys would like to have a GoPro on me then? I remember just loving Jesus one night. It's probably 3 o'clock in the morning. The desert, you know, stars are out. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I just started jumping up in the air. And this is why I felt closer to God as I jumped up in the air. Is that stupid? I just feel closer to God. I just feel closer to God. I remember, I remember laughing going, rapture practice, rapture practice. <laughs> Don't leave me alone. That's all I'm trying to say. What's your passion? What, what is it you just love to do? Second thing, and a very valid, important question, what's your pain? Because passion's wonderful, but passion will get you started. It'll never get you finished. Passion will cause you to say, you know, I want to be a fireman. But it won't cause you to run into a burning building. Pain is what caused you to run into a burning building. If you're standing outside that building and you hear somebody go, my, my baby's in there, my hamster's in there, my dog's in there, my family photos are in there, and you're like, and you see that person's face, you're like, ah, I, Joining the fire department, I'm passionate about putting out fires. I'm passionate about adventure. I'm passionate about burning things. I'm, I'm passionate about wearing the helmet. I've always wanted to be a fireman. That will not cause you to save a life. That will cause you to join the fire department. So what causes people to go into a burning building to rescue somebody else at the risk of their own life? It's not passion. It's the thought that if I don't do what is now in front of me, the consequence is unthinkable. You ever, you ever seen anybody on the news that's a hero? And they interview him. So here I am with Todd Winkle, and Todd Winkle just jumped into a frozen lake, and he, he rescued, you know, poor, poor little Vinny. Vinny fell in. Of course, Vinny's longer than most lakes are deep. So, but still, it was, it was bad, and he was in there. Todd Winkle, you're a hero. Everybody's calling you a hero. Todd, what do you think about that? Todd would do this. He would look at his feet and go, man, I, you know. How many of you guys are all heroes when they're interviewed look at their feet? You know why? Being called a hero. Is it true that Todd's a hero for saving poor little nine-foot-tall Vinny? Okay. But Todd knows something that most people don't. Hear me. He had two choices, to hear Vinny scream until it went quiet or to run out there and do something about it because he could. And this is what most people don't get. Pain makes it harder not to do what you're supposed to do. It makes it almost impossible. My grandkids are inside of a burning building and 14 calendar-worthy firemen with their... their suspenders on, their pecs sticking out, try to stop me. I'll kill 13 of them and knock the 14th out or die trying to get my kid out of that burning building, my, my, my grandson, my granddaughter. Why? Because there's a pain that drives me to do what I really can't do without that pain. Nobody starts orphanages because they're passionate about orphans. They start them because they're in pain because of the condition of a child that lives in the street without a mother or a father. Nobody starts feeding things and shelters and in hospitals even because there's money in it and fame in it. No one becomes a police officer or a school teacher or a mother because they, they want the glory and the money. They do these things because there's a pain of ignorance, so I became a teacher. There's a, there's a pain of a child without a mother, so I, I adopted 14 of them. There's a pain. Like when we happen into our passion, we get headed in the right direction. But if you can connect with your pain, you become something more than you've ever been before. The last one is this. What's your proficiency? What is it that God gave you? That just, it just comes naturally to you. You're just good at it. Don't you get mad at people that sit down at pianos and play them? You know, yeah, I picked up a guitar. It was hard to learn. It took me three days. And you're just like, oh, shut up. You know, 
Now I sing love songs and all the girls love me, you know. Okay. All right. Somebody picks up a ball and they just throw it across, you know, the county. Like, yep, you got in line three times. That's why I don't have any, you know, athletic talent. Josh. You know what I'm saying? Just, sorry, that was for you. There, there's, a, there's, this, there's this thing, like, it just comes naturally. Some people can just talk. Some people can just listen. Some people everybody tells their problems to. They didn't take a class in, like, problem stuff. How to have your friends tell you their problems. They just sat there, and people walked up to them. Anybody here, like, people tell you their problems naturally? Like, people just tell you. Like, right? I would see that, Mary, about you. I'd walk up to Mary. How you doing? Like, honestly? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? If you were a believer, you'd be a barmaid, right? You know what I mean? They're like, you'd just be there saying, what's your problem? What's your problem, sweetheart? You know what I mean? That would be. And she'd listen, and she'd care, because that's who God is. She cares, right? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> what's that? That was a fast life, yeah. Yeah, she hasn't done that in three weeks. We're well beyond that. Well beyond that, no. No. Some of you are born to be counselors. Like, people just tell you, that's your, that's your proficiency. Some people, like J.D., my son, Pastor J.D., he did this uh, during one of the drive-in services. We had, like, a, it was about a year ago. And we had a trunk or treat where you decorated your cars. I said, tonight, we're going to decide what, what, the, what the prizes are, and, and you're going to win these prizes by these three rules. I handed it to him. There were no three rules. I did it just to set him up. And he said, that's right, Pastor Jim, there are three rules. Now, what I know that no one else knows is he's talking because he's thinking about what the first rule is. He has the ability to talk and make sense while he's making up something in his head. It got him through school. I'm telling you, this is what he got through. <laughs> write a, a report on, a, on an American history person, right? The next day, without doing any work, without writing anything, without reading any books, he gave up, he stood up and gave a 15-minute rousing speech to the entire fifth grade class about the American hero, the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> the movie that he saw the night before. <laughs> and he got a B. <laughs> Don't humor people like that if you're a teacher, man. Make them do the work, you know. But it's just, I said to him, so what are the three rules? He goes, first rule is this. We want to see that your entire family had a, a part in this, and it wasn't just done by the master craftsman dad or the master artist mom. We want to see handprints and fingerprints. The second thing is a theme. It doesn't have a strong theme. The third thing, and he just, and he just totally made it up on the spot, handed it back to me like, take that, old man. <laughs> and he kind of walked away from me like a dog. It was kind of like, I'm done with you. <laughs> uh, Mr. Jefferson, right? He was just like, I'm... Hey, you little snot. <laughs> but that's, that's his proficiency. Someone else, if you knew the three rules, what is it? Right? That's the way I feel when someone says, could you help me with my taxes? I'm like, hey, I've got a math question. Oh, man, wrong weekend. I need someone to sit in a cubicle and answer phones for a good cause. It's like, can't I just go on the street and tell people to call the guy in the cubicle? Like, right? So your passion what thrills you? Your pain, what kills you? Your proficiency, what did God fill you with? If you can understand the clues and how they point you in a direction, put up that slide there. It's got the three of them. You, you see them together as separate things, and, and they are, really. If we're asking questions about ourselves, you should ask those three questions. If you just got saved or you've been saved for 50 years but you don't know your purpose, which is about 80% of every room I've spoken to and I've asked. We did this with the youth group last Thursday night, junior high schools and high schoolers, 80%. I do this with pastors in pastors' conferences. 80%. Do you know why you're here? Do you know your purpose? 80%. Say, I'm not, I'm not real sure. It's not real clear. So we, what's your passion? What's your pain? What's your proficiency? Why? Because we're going to go the next slide. What's the next slide? Look at this. What we're trying to do is make those three separate entities actually line up in a meaningful way. 
when you know that you're passionate, uh, Austin, what are you passionate about besides her? What are you passionate about? Medicine and, and people and pain. What is it, the pain that you just, you would love to relieve in this world besides this moment that you're, you're agonizing through right now? Seeing people in pain. That's how you're in medicine. So you're, you're intelligent. That's your, your, I see your proficiency too, right? Passion, pain, proficiency. And you're studying right now and preparing to be what? Good. If he said accountant, I'd smack him. <laughs> right? Uh, Mike Miller. Because I, I know I, I can't embarrass you either. So what, it, what would you say your passion is? People. What do you say your pain is? People? <laughs> you're a pastor. I can see it already. <laughs> What's, what's your proficiency? Talking. <laughs> Thinking on his feet as long as he's next to Terry when he does it, right? I mean, so we can do this all day. I go around the entire room, and, and most of us would have some answer to those questions. And the goal of it is not to say I'm passionate about this so I get to do it on the weekend. I'm proficient at that, so that's my hobby. I'm in pain about this. And once a year when we have that big push, what if you could wake up every morning right there? What if that was your life? What if that was who God made you to be and you found a place to be that? What if, and, and I'll just be honest with you, the reason I know that is because that's my life at the moment. And lives always evolve, right? Lives are always changing. I love, 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 love the body of Christ. I love leading people to Jesus. I love it. It's my passion. If you were to say, well, you can still be a pastor, you just can't tell anybody about Jesus, I'd be like, that's not even a pastor. <laughs> We've actually had people, hey, if you come and do this, like, public teaching thing, you work, like, you travel, like, once a week to another place to do this teaching in public schools, and you make more money than being a pastor. It's like, that's not, that's not my passion. Does that make sense? I am passionate about those things. What's my pain? My pain is when church is done badly, when you look at your watch, more than you look at the preacher. Yes, I have seen some of you this morning. Right? Um, what, what, what's your proficiency? I, I don't know. Talking, I guess. Right? Being <laughs> decisive, I guess. Right? So this is what I'm trying to say to you. I wake up every morning there, and I wake up differently than a lot of people in this room will. Why? Because when I wake up, I don't say, good Lord. It's morning. I say, good morning, Lord. I'm excited about my life. There are times where I have to be exhausted to sleep, and it's getting easier to be exhausted as I get older. I have to be exhausted to sleep. Why? Because tomorrow's a new day. You know the hardest thing in my life? You know what it is? It's actually Sabbath. Stopping ceasing, quitting for a day, and just being with the Lord, being present, being with my family, being in the Word, that I don't get to talk to anybody. I don't get to, uh, can I at least eat something, you know? And, and I, this is what I'm trying to say to you. I am having so much fun being me, as you will have so much satisfaction from being you, that stopping being you will actually be harder than going to work is now. And you've got to find that. Where do I find that? God has hidden clues inside of you. You'd always have you. You'll always have your storage. You'll always have the dots that don't seem to connect. And then one day you'll step back far enough to go, I get it. I, she broke up with me then because that prepared me to be a youth pastor. That, the, the dad kicked me out of that. I used to be an addict because I really, that one thing I struggled with, man, my temper, man, being a police officer, being a veteran, being a, and all of a sudden you go, I, I see the picture. I'm a pastor in Fenton, Michigan. Who knew? My disqualification of not being um, educated. Actually, when they were looking for a pastor, they said, what are you looking for? They said, we're looking for somebody that has, that we don't want somebody that's really like a, a scholar. Because I didn't know what this meant at the time, I qualified. <laughs> I don't know, right? And, and, 
and we're looking for someone who's had some success in youth ministry. Well, I love kids so much. I mean, if you love kids, you're going to have success in youth ministry. Like so the, the number one qualifier of being a youth pastor is loving youth. Right? Which is why I'm no longer a youth pastor. I love them. No, 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 that sounds bad. I love them, but they started calling me sir. Hey, guys, what are you doing? Oh, we're not doing anything, sir. I'm like, I was your older brother like last year, and now I'm like the fuzz. <laughs> Anybody almost even know what the fuzz is? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, and now like I'm here to bust you. Like, no, I, I want to join you. Whose windows we soaping? They're like, oh, you're too old for that. Like, I, I guess I am. I guess I have to grow up now and be a senior pastor. So who are you? Camel guy, join me if you would. Who are you? Who are you? What are you here for? What are you supposed to be doing? What's your work? Because I had this one last thing to say. Um, Christianity is not a religion. Yes? It's not. It's a world religion of Christianity. Stop. Following Jesus has disciplines, but it's not religious in nature. Christianity, it's a direct relationship with your creator that's given you superpowers to serve him and your generation. That's what Christianity is. It's, it's being covered in the dust of your rabbi. It's, it's learning the rhythms of his grace. It's, it's being obedient, not because if I don't, I go to hell, but because if I do, I get to be more like him. Let, let's just take forgiveness for a second. If you need to forgive somebody, it's one of the least natural commandments, I think, personally. You know, those who've harmed you, those who wrongly used you, those who've hurt you, you should forgive them. It's like, or, or, or what's the other option? It's like, there's no other option. Well, that, why? And this is why. You will never be more like Jesus than when you forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. And through that process of forgiving your enemies, all of a sudden it's like you're closer to him than you were before you had enemies. Does this make sense? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying yourself down for her, washing her with the water, you know, just giving yourself for her. Like, um, what's the other option? There is no other option. Why? Because that commandment forces a need into my life to be like Jesus. I can't do that because I want to. I do that because he wants me to, and I join myself to him in that pursuit of my own death. I thought marriage was going to be, no, after the wedding, there's got to be two funerals before there's one marriage. You think it's hard to, to lay down your life for your wife? God's commandment to the woman is, and wives, submit to your husbands. Need I say more? He, he leaves the seat up, and I fall in like three nights a week. He leaves his pajamas on the floor. He, I say, what are you going to be when you grow up? And a 29-year-old man looks at me and goes, oh, no, no. And I got I to gotta come under that? Like, there'll be submission if, like, I just find submission. Right? It's hard. Why does God command us to the hardest of things, the greatest of sacrifices, even the crucifixion of our identity and our flesh and our preferences? Why? Because in following Jesus, through fire, we come out the other side refined. Following Jesus through crucifixion, we come out the other side dead in some ways, but very alive in other ways. If you're here today, you're like, I don't know who I am. You're not going to find it because you start to pray 20 minutes a day. Because prayer is the end. Or read your Bible through every year because... You guys know the devil probably reads the Bible through every year. It isn't, it isn't what he has said. It's what he is saying through what he said. It's a relationship. What is he directing me? How is he leading me? What is, what is, what is my God? We tell all your promises are yes and amen. If you're not living by the promises God's made to you, then what are you living by? What other word? What other statement? What other decree? What other creed? 
if you're here today and you're like, Jim, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I know Jesus, but honestly, I'm not quite sure I know who I am. That could be about eight out of ten of us. So it's totally okay. Maybe you're not supposed to know who you are yet. Moses didn't know who he was. So he saw a Hebrew guy, an Egyptian guy fighting, and he missed it by a little bit by becoming a murderer, you know. Nehemiah didn't know who he was supposed to be until he asked some friends coming from Jerusalem, hey, how's it going? And they said, man, the walls have been torn down. Everybody's living under great persecution. The gates have been burned with fire. And he grabs his clothes. He totally Hulk Hogan's it. You know what I mean? And he rips his ashes. He fasts. He prays. And he risks his life saying, I, I would rather die than not do something about the need of that city or my father, my, my ancestors. Like, I, I got to do something. He didn't know who he was. A moment before that, didn't know who he was. It's funny. The guy who told him that went on his way. But that was the moment that Nehemiah found his way. And he found his why. So if you don't know, it's okay. How many of us know that we need to be asking these questions and we'll never be satisfied with morality? Christianity that ends with morality will always be unsatisfying because we're not supposed to behave ourselves. We're supposed to be dangerous. Father, I thank you for today. As our heads bow before you and our eyes close in reverence, one simple request. Everything that is in me, on me, around me that isn't from you, we simply ask that you'd remove it. riding this beautiful wave of people saying I want Jesus and I believe the day will will continue to, to see decisions that are made for that and Father in this closing couple of minutes here I, I pray for those that are here today that 80% would just say I, I know Jesus I just don't know me I know Jesus I just don't think I know me heads bowed eyes closed God's head not bowed, eyes not closed, before the Lord, without raising a hand and without standing on your feet, just before the Lord. She's like, God, I, man, I got clues, but I don't have answers. I got suspicions, but I don't have conclusions. Tell me who I am. Tell me what, what I'm supposed to be doing. If that's you right now, just tell me. God, that's me. That's me. I, I, I listen for a voice. It's still and small. This requires fasting and this requires prayer. This requires a day just sitting in a field with a jug of water till I hear the voice of my Creator speak to me. I need to know what you think of when you think of me. I need to know what you say over me. I need to know the promises I'm going to live by. Drowned out the NFL, drowned out ESPN, drowned out the distractions, the, the pollutions, the dilutions. Just if I could hear one thing from you today, it'd be you telling me who I am. Because when I know my why, I will know my way. Last thing is this. If you're here today, you're like, Jim, I would love that, but I, I'd be honest, I don't think God and I are on speaking terms right now. Maybe you've been through hell, and you blamed him for it. Maybe you've been through hell, and you blame yourself for it. Maybe the thought of God is an alien, kind of a, an understanding, something you knew when you were a child that you don't know anymore. Then in the closing moments of this service, I just simply say this. To consider what you've done or what's been done to you as greater than what God has done for you is to believe the greatest lie of all. There is no man, there is no woman, there is no circumstance, not even you, that's greater than God. When God gave his son Jesus Christ to die in the place of sinners like me and like every human being, tempted in every way we're tempted, yet never failing where we failed, he, he then lays down his life and he pays a bill. He covers a tab that he didn't run up, we did. He said, I got it, it's on me. Literally, it's on me. 
and he pays it. And on the third day, not only does our bill paid for, but our Savior rises from the dead victorious. His death could not hold him because the sins that he bore were not his, they were ours. How do you punish someone who hasn't sinned? He took our punishment, but he wasn't being punished, if that makes sense, because he'd done nothing wrong. And now this grace, this gift of salvation, this gift of knowing the Father, this gift of a doorway opening, this gift of the abilities, the gift of knowing who you are, it just it's right in front of you. Jesus said literally on multiple occasions, as did the disciples, as did John the Baptist, the kingdom, the domain of the king, it's at hand. If you were to reach out right now, you could touch him. He's here. It's at hand. Your hand is within reach of his heart. And today, if you're like, I, I would like the mercy of God to invade me. I'd like for Jesus to forgive me. I'd like a fresh, born-again, clean slate do-over. I need it. I'm not going to think my way out of this one. I'm not going to work my way out of this one. I'm not going to religious my way through this one. I, I need a God who gives gifts. I need the gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of His love. I need to be given what I need. I cannot earn it. It needs to be a gift. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this room. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and those who reach out can touch it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and those who reach out can touch it. A simple raising of the hand in this room in just a moment. I'll take that. I'll take God up on that offer. I will take him up on those promises. I will believe him. I'll trust him for fresh starts and new beginnings. Believers are praying all over this room right now for you. Because we've been there. Today, Jim, I'm not right with God, but I trust that he can make me right with him. And I give him all my yesterdays. And I give him all my tomorrows. If that's you all over this room, I want you to raise your hand right now. All over this room. Hands go up. Hands go up. Yeah, it's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. It's a brand new season. It's a new day. All things are gone. Behold, the Bible says, all things have become new. In the original language, that phrase, all things, it means all things. It's not a phrase. It's, it's a fact. All things. So, Father, with our hands lifted up and our hearts wide open, we receive, like a child on Christmas morning, the gifts that we've desperately needed our whole lives. Forgiveness mercy, grace, truth, the infilling of your spirit, the, the, the knowledge to hear your voice when we read the word and not just phase out and think about grocery shopping and other things, but that to have a conversation through written scripture because we're being taught now by our counselor, our comforter, our teacher, the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why our hands are raised. God, teach us, lead us, forgive us, help us. Give us this brand new fresh start now, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Let's just stand to your feet. Don't leave quite yet. Did I go over? There's not a clock anymore. I don't even know. Right on time? Good. Okay, perfect. Nobody said that. But that's what I heard. I heard it clearly. In my own desires, I heard that. So here's your homework assignment. Don't know who I am. I'm serious about this. Don't you dare come back until you've done this, unless you want to. Draw three circles. Write some stuff. Cross out some things. Find words that collect the other words into single words. Take, take pages and make them paragraphs. Take paragraphs and make them sentences. Take sentences and make them words. Until you can look yourself in the eye and say, I know you. I know you. I know what God made you to be. I know your purpose. I know your why. Because when you know your why, you know your way. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Sound good? And if you need any help with that, Chuck Cobra, where are you? Call Chuck. Chuck's my coach. Chuck teaches this stuff. He teaches me this stuff. He reminds me of this stuff. Seriously. This is helpful stuff. On your market set, 
God bless you. Live long and prosper. We'll see you soon next week. And, oh, if you're a guest and we haven't had a chance to meet you, the guest room is open. Come on, hang out. Let's drink some coffee. and.